going to read Luke chapter 2, verse 8 while you're standing to honor God's word. And um, then we're going to talk about peace on earth. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord, singular, stood before them, just one angel at first. And the glory of the Lord shined around them. There was a supernatural light. And they were greatly afraid. But then the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, which was a feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. Now we have plural angels of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what everybody? Peace and goodwill towards men. Thank you for your word today, Lord. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. And may peace rest on all of us. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say peace, and not like a hippie, but peace, God's peace, right? It's amazing. I was a hippie, and I used to walk around, peace, man, peace. I had no clue what I was talking about, but anyway. Now, in the last verse, verse 14, uh, the angel first gives glory to God, all right? Glory to God in the highest, but then he makes a pronouncement. And here's the pronouncement, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Now, this was an angel from heaven. This angel came from heaven, and this angel now is speaking to these shepherds uh, in, in lieu of the birth of Christ, and he's saying, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But what, what did he mean? Because when the angel said this, and ever since he said this, Earth has not been a place of peace, not in any way. If by peace you mean the absence of war and violence, earth has not been a place and is not a place of peace. Since this angelic announcement over 2,000 years ago, not a decade has passed in world history without war somewhere in the world. Peace on earth. Did you know that since America's birth 245 years ago, we've been at peace for a total of 21 years? Out of 245, peace on earth? Jesus predicted as much. When asked what would be the signs preceding his return to, to earth, he responded, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. The word there is ethnos, in it, where we get ethnicity, and it's really Jesus is predicting race wars. For race will rise against race and kingdom against kingdom. That's political wars. Race wars, political wars will mark the world before the return of Christ. So if you're looking for, for peace on earth, by a world without war or violence, uh, forget about it. It's not going to happen. Th then what kind of peace was the angel talking about? Uh, when he said peace on earth, goodwill towards men, because he said it, and it came from God. So what did he mean? 
Well, maybe another Bible version will help us to understand what he's talking about. Here's the New International Version. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, this version makes it clear that the angel wasn't talking about the entire world because the entire world does not have peace by any stretch, but only those on whom God's favor rests. That's, that's the aim. That's the target of the, of the pronouncement. Peace on earth, peace to those on whom the favor of God rests. Well, what does that mean? And on whom does his favor rest? Well, to understand it, we've also got to understand what the Bible says about another kind of war taking place. We've got to understand this. Now, I'm going to give you Bible truth, not, not what you get on Dr. Phil or Oprah or um, National Enquirer or somewhere on social media. I'm going to give you the Bible truth. I'm going to give you the way God sees the world, the way God says the world is, and here it is. Scripture teaches that our world is at war with God. We human beings are at war with the God who made us. Scripture teaches this. Now, now some people would immediately say, you know, an atheist or somebody like that, uh, well, well, hey, wait a minute, uh, I'm neutral about God or I don't have an opinion about him one way or the other. I'm not an outspoken atheist. I'm not on a crusade against God. And I don't have a personal beef with religion, so how can you tell me that I'm at war with God? I'm not at war with God. I'm just kind of living my own life, doing my own thing, going my own way, enjoying life. But the Bible teaches that if you have not received forgiveness for the shed blood of Christ on the cross, you are at war with God. We don't like God's authority. We don't like God's commandments. We don't like God's moral law. We don't like him messing with our stuff. We don't like having to answer to him. We want God to leave us alone. We want to go our own way. Like Isaiah the prophet said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Do your own thing. As Frank Sinatra sang it, I did it my way. That's the cry of a lost and dying world. That's a, the cry and the ph philosophy of a world that is at war with God. The Bible says we're at war with God. Listen to Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled. Now, watch this. So this verse is saying, before we were reconciled, we were God's enemies. There was hostility between us and God. We broke God's laws every day. We did what we wanted. We lived in the flesh. We lived in sin. We did what we wanted to do. We were at war with God. And that world out there, that Christ-rejecting world out there, is right now actively hostile against God, at war with God. Why else would you want to get him out of the schools, out of politics, out of sports, out of everything, if you're not at war with him? If you love him, why not want him closer? But no, the world is not in love with him. The world wants him far away. Leave me alone. Don't, don't, don't get into my business. Romans 8 verse 7 says, the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. I didn't write that. Paul wrote that moved by the Holy Spirit. James said, 
Do you not know that being the world's friend, that is loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? Did you catch that? Let me try that again. Do you not know that being the world's friend, now I'm talking about the world system. I love God's creation. I marvel at it all the time, and I love it and appreciate it. I love the birds, the animals, the trees, everything. I'm amazed at the creation of God. But when he says the world, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about the creation. He's talking about the evil world system that lives in sin, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away in the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. He's talking about the evil world system that is geared uh, and tailor-made to resist God. That's what he's talking about. Don't you know that being the world's friend, that world, loving the things of the world is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why is that so? Because the world is at war with God. We're at war with God. Now, because of the inner war against God, resisting him, pushing him away, suppressing his truth, avoiding him, ducking and dodging God, because of that, people lack peace. They have no peace. So, well, how do you know that, Jeff? Because they're always looking for it in the wrong places. See, Listen to what God says. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace. Now, the wicked is those who resist and reject God, don't want Christ, don't want his son, don't want anything to do with him. Uh, There is no peace. There is no peace for those who would rather live in sin than walk with him. Listen to Isaiah again. But those who still reject me, this is God talking in the first person. Those who still reject me, are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. Listen to those adjectives. Restless, never still, continually churning. Restless, never still, continually churning. We've all stood at a seashore, most of us. You see the waves come and go. And and when you look down, you see the, the mud always being kicked up and stirred up. And you see that that sea, as beautiful as it is, it never rests. That's the idea of of the wicked. That's the idea of of somebody that doesn't have the peace the angel was talking about. There's no peace. Until the war between you and God is settled, there is no inner peace. People search for that peace all their lives long, peace without God. Let me see if I can find it without having to go that way. Let me see if I can find peace without having to turn to him. Let me see if I can find it. But they find out real quick, drugs will never give you peace. Drugs will give you a buzz. Drugs will make you laugh a little bit. You may have a good time, but there's always tomorrow morning. Drugs won't give you peace. Alcohol will not give you peace. It'll temporarily numb you, but that's not peace. We don't want numbing. We want peace. We want peace. And again, you always wake up the next day. And when you wake up the next day with that banging headache and maybe regret over what happened the night before, that is hardly peace. Possessions will never give you peace. Listen to me, friend. I don't care. There's a guy in our neighborhood. He's got this beautiful silver Corvette. This thing is gorgeous. I'll admit it. I have, a little bit, I have to deal with envy when he goes by every once in a great while. But, 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 but you can tell his world revolves around this thing. I think, I think that car has a wedding ring. 
and he, he drives it up and down the street, and he's always out in the neighborhood with, with the top down, uh, knowing that everybody's going to look and see his hot Corvette. And I'm sitting there thinking, he loves this thing. He's probably worked his whole life to get this thing. Because, you know, he's a little older on in years. He's gray-headed. And, and, uh, but you can tell this is what he had been dreaming about his whole life. But let me tell you something. That Corvette will not give him peace. No. No. It'll give you a little bit of fulfillment. It'll give you a good time. But then there's always those payments. And always that insurance bill. Right? And if you wreck that thing, it blows apart because it's made of fiberglass. And then what do you have? You don't have peace. You don't have peace. There's no relationship with anyone, as wonderful as they may be, that will ever give you this peace. Philosophy won't give you this peace. Even religion will not give you this peace because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Christ. But religion, doing, doing the right things, jumping through all the right hoops, it will not give you peace. Only God can give it to you. Only God can give you deep, inner, lasting, fulfilling peace. Only God. Peace on earth. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. You say, well, okay, Jeff, well, then how does God give it to me? Well, the Bible tells us exactly how God gives us this deep inner peace. And it's the entire reason for the Christmas season. That's why we're here. That's why we have this orchestra. That's why we're up here singing songs. That's why most of us are in church. Because of what God did to give us peace. It comes by placing, listen, and I know most of you know this. I'm talking to the choir, but I'll never stop saying this. It, peace comes by placing your faith in Christ and allowing his shed blood to wash away your sins because the war has to stop. The war has to stop. The battle has to stop. This is why the baby Jesus was born. Uh, God incarnate, wrapped in flesh, came to die on the cross for our sins. The Bible says Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners, and that's all of us. God loved us so much, he came to us. He came to us. Listen to this beautiful verse. The word, capital W, talking about Jesus, became flesh, became a human being, and made his dwelling among us, made his dwelling among us. It's interesting, that, that word dwelling in the Greek language is, is the word for a tent. Isn't that interesting? He made his tent. He came to live. He came to abide. But a tent is only temporary. Jesus came temporarily. He went back to heaven one day. But he came, what did he come to do? The word became flesh and he made his dwelling. He, he pitched tent among us. He pitched his tent among us. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way in the Message Bible. This is what he said. And Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Oh, I like that. Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. David Jeremiah recently told the story of Mary Daniel, who in early July 2020 had not seen her husband for 114 days due to coronavirus restrictions at the care facility where he lives. Her husband, Steve, had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's seven years before, and Mary had been visiting with him every night, and she would get him ready for bed. 
But then the COVID pandemic struck. The care facility had stopped visitations altogether to stop its spread. And so on March 11th, Mary saw Steve for the last time as a visitor. Mary worried about her husband. So much time alone was not good for an Alzheimer's patient. And she was desperate to find some way to stay connected, but there was no way to get in. Everything was shut down. But then... As she prayed, out of the blue, the corporate offices of the care facility called her and said, we've got a part-time job available if you'd like to take it. She didn't even ask what it was. Hired. She was willing to do anything that would get her inside, close to her husband. The job turned out to be washing dishes in the care facility. So Mary began the menial task of washing dishes, which allowed her to see her husband each and every day. And she testified. She was so thankful for the door that God opened. Even after three visits, his demeanor began to change for the better. What Mary Daniel did in order to see her sick husband is a faint picture of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and me. Because, see, he loved us so much that he moved into our neighborhood. He loved us so much that he moved into our sick and dying world and became a servant. The Bible says all the way to his death on the cross. Mary washed dishes to get to her husband. But God wrapped himself in flesh to get to us. Yes. Listen to this incredibly powerful verse. The Bible says, though he was God and Jesus was, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but he laid aside his mighty power and glory. He took the disguise of a slave and became like men, and he humbled himself even further, going so far as to actually die a criminal's death on the cross. Mary washing dishes every day to see Steve. Jesus became a servant, washed our feet, taught us, wept with us, walked with us, healed us, sweated, worked, died on a cross of pain and shame to get to us. to get to us. He moved into our neighborhood. I distinctly remember the night I became a Christian. Very vivid to me. I was locked up in the Harry Hines Juvenile Detention Center as a 16-year-old boy for drugs, in deep trouble, No Christ, no God, no Bible, no understanding of anything divine. And I heard the gospel and I prayed the sinner's prayer for the first time. The first prayer I ever prayed in my entire life was the prayer to turn to the Christ who came to find me. I immediately felt a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I've had many people tell me the same story. 
It was like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. Even as a 16-year-old, I felt like a burden had been lifted from me. The burden was the weight of my sin. The burden was the weight of my guilt. Not because I was in jail. Doesn't matter where you are. You you are in jail if you don't know Christ. You're locked in sin. You are imprisoned in iniquity. You can't get out of that door unless he opens it. I experienced the peace of God. The peace of God. Is this the kind of peace the angel was talking about when he said peace on earth? And goodwill towards men? Absolutely. He was talking about the peace of God that comes when the war is over. When the war is over between us and God. The Bible describes it as a deep inner peace that that passes the ability to comprehend or understand it. Because you experience it when there's nothing circumstantially that would account for your having peace. You still have peace. It passes understanding. It transcends understanding. Let me tell you what God's peace is not. It's not a yo-yo peace. It doesn't rise and fall, come and go with circumstances. No. In fact, sometimes you'll experience God's peace when circumstantially you ought to be all tied up in knots, but you experience God's peace instead. Because it's not a yo-yo peace. It doesn't come and it doesn't come. Doesn't come and as long as you pray and give your troubles to God, the peace of God will watch guard over your heart and mind through Jesus Christ, and you will have his peace. Amen. Because when you make peace with God, you experience the peace of God. We've got to make peace with God. We've got to make peace with, with God. It's got to happen with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith, that's when we have peace with God. Interesting, the Bible puts it that way, peace with God, as if we weren't at peace with God. You know why it says it? Because we weren't. But the war stops, the battle ends when you give your heart to Christ and God's peace takes over because the peace of God can only enter a heart that has made peace with, with God. The peace of God will never be yours until you make that peace with God. We've got to make peace with God. Another thing, his peace is not. It's not a peace that God takes back if we're not perfect. Aren't you glad for that? He doesn't take it back if we're not perfect. No, Jesus said this, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. Can I read that again? John 14, 27, the Living Bible. I am leaving you a gift. Peace of mind and heart. Jesus said that. And the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. Because the world gives and takes back. The world gives and pulls it back. But God says, the peace I'm giving you, I'm never gonna take it back. The peace I give to you is not fragile. It's not easily broken. It is strong. It's there in the hard times, tough times, trying times, fiery times. It's there. And I don't take it back. I'm giving you a gift, said Jesus. Peace of mind and heart. It's what people pop pills to get. It's what they meditate on to get. It's why they do yoga, looking for peace. No, 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 no. You got to end the war with God and make peace with God. And the peace of God will come into your heart. You can experience God's peace by saying, Lord, I'm so tired of fighting with you. 
Have you ever noticed when you fight with God, he always wins? You know, there's that old song, I fought the law and the law won. Remember that song? I fought God and God won. Okay? So on earth, peace, the peace of God that comes to every person that receives the Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace, that's what he's called into their hearts. How many of you are glad Jesus came into our neighborhood? Amen. Can we stand together today? I've only got one thing better for you than him coming into your neighborhood, our world. It's when he comes into your heart. When he comes into your heart. The heart's a lonely, tormented, restless place until Jesus is born there, comes and lives in your heart. And I know most everybody in here is saved, but aren't you so glad that we've got a Savior that cared enough to come find us? Amen? Cared enough to come find us. And I'm going to say a simple prayer um, for anybody who might need to, want to, turn to Christ. Uh, I never assume everybody in a meeting is saved. Not with this many people. I never assume it. Because lost people go to church all the time. People that are not born again go to church all the time. But they don't know they're not born again. They never stop to think about it, that walking into a church building doesn't save you. Amen? I went into my garage this morning. It didn't make me a car. Right? You can't just come in here and say, well, I went to church. I'm saved. I'm right with God. No. you got to end the war. You must be born again. You must accept him into your heart. If you don't, then you're leaving lost. You're leaving without him. But he cared enough to come into your neighborhood and find you. And if you don't know him, he's talking to you right now. And I'm just going to say a simple prayer. If you want to say it with me, we're going to come to Christ. And you may have the greatest miracle available to all mankind happen to you today, being saved. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessing. Now I want you to pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. I invite you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me my sins for being at war with you and wash my sins away through the shed blood of your son. And I thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness today. And for coming into my heart as Savior and Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.